May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. First, I want to say congratulations to the choir. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Lessons and carols are always a wonderful occasion. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading. I should start by saying Happy New Year because it's the beginning of a new liturgical year. We have ABC, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is a kind of a Roman Catholic, Anglican, Orthodox understanding of, of rhythm and cycles uh, in the church year. Start Advent, uh, we move into Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and then we have Pentecost. So we have all these seasons between now and Pentecost, but for me, it's like the first, it's like Pentecost, because it's first Sunday of Advent, second Sunday of Advent, third Sunday of Advent. It just kind of clicks right off. It goes really, really fast. And one of the things that happened when we were at Living Waters, we showed up there not too long after we got there. Um, you know, we learned a whole lot about the charismatic side of the stream, but they will also learn some things. He said to Annette Watson, who uh, was the pastor's wife, Randy's wife, it was, this, it was the day after Christmas, and Kathy said, hi, honey. Merry Christmas. And Annette goes, honey, Christmas is over. And Kathy said, no, it's just started. It's the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas isn't over until January 6th, Epiphany. Well, this is my favorite time of year. You just gave me 11 more days of Christmas. I am so glad you guys came. So if for nothing else, we gave them more Christmas. But they began to understand the rhythm of the church, and it kind of made sense to them, and I thought that was great. Um, the early emphasis of Advent was, was really on penitence and fasting. Uh, earlier, we never said hallelujah. We didn't do the Gloria. You know, it, was, it was more like Lent. But now, that emphasis has changed more on expectancy, on prayer, on self-appraisal, as we kind of go through a time of preparation, um, not just for Christmas, but for the second coming more about that. We're going to hear from John the Baptist, Isaiah, Mary. Um, it's a stern and sober warning that we get during Advent. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. That is the declaration, that is called the declaration of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. The big idea is we do not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future be ready, for we do not know the day nor the hour when this will occur. Advent texts promise us that when all is said and done, God will reign. And in the end, the truth will be known and justice will be done. In the end, truth, whatever that may be, will be known and justice will be done and people will be held to account for the actions of their lives. And all will be well trust in God. At that time, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee may not bow willingly, and every tongue may not confess willingly that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let me just say, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so these texts encourage us to live with confidence, not fear. We are to live fearlessly. In the first chapter of Joshua, 
Now Joshua is getting ready to go into the promised land. And in the first in the first chapter, you hear this phrase four different times. I'll just read one. And God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the first chapter of Joshua, he says, Be strong and courageous four separate times. He's really telling us that same thing today. Live fearlessly. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Stand up. Keep going. Uh, you may find things are, are kind of coming apart at the seams, but I'm still here. I mean, we look at things like whether it's the economy or COVID or the world scene, inflation, the climate, uh, the nuclear family kind of falling apart, what's going on with energy. I don't know if you bought gas lately. I never heard such controversy over the ho Thanksgiving holiday. I always thought that was a time when we would give thanks to God for the, for the benefit and the blessing that we had. But it seems to be more divisive these days. It almost is like we're living in two Americas. There's a lots of reasons to be nervous these days. But God says, I don't want you to be nervous. I want you to live fearlessly. We have confidence because we know that God doesn't give up on the world. No matter how bad things get, God never gives up on the world. And nothing is beyond his redeeming love. He's going to come to us riding on a cloud, shining like the sun. Could be a song. Actually, we heard that in the, t in the text today. He's going to come in a cloud. So today's text is known as the Sermon of Signs. It's the day of the Lord. You hear this in Isaiah, in Joel, in Amos, in Peter, in the book of Acts. Jesus says this. There's nothing new. We don't know when, but Jesus says, look for the signs. People say, well, this has got to be it because it's never been worse than this. Well, you know, tell that to somebody who was living under Hitler in a bad way. How about maybe when Genghis Khan was were going and, and conquering the world? How about the, maybe the Black Plague? There's always been times when it seems like the whole world is caving in. And some, for some it's, these days, it seems like the whole world is caving in. But we don't know when this is going to happen. That's why we have to be ready. Hearts will stop. Two reactions, positive and negative. It'll be terror to the lost and hope to the faithful. And instead of being fearful, Jesus tells believers to lift up their heads, victory versus defeat. You ever notice the difference between the benches when some team kicks a winning field goal? When the team kicks the winning field goal, the whole bench erupts. The fans erupt, and their heads are up, and their arms are up, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're, I don't know how the kicker even survives some of this stuff because they pile on this guy. You know, and he's usually, what, about 80 pounds? And what is the other team doing? As they shuffle off the field in defeat. Well, it's going to be one of the two. When this happens, people are going to be looking up saying, hallelujah. Or, oh, oh, oh. You, you, you want to be in that first category. I said, you, want, you know, some people say, good morning, Lord. And some people say, good Lord, morning. Text tells us that everything else may change, but the Word of God lasts forever. Forever, The Word of God is immutable. Immutable means it doesn't change. Lots of things in our life are very mutable, changing, like all the time. Speed limits. Speed limits change sometimes when you don't even know it. 
Taxes change. They go up. They go down. Politicians change every so often. Hallelujah. Polls change. Fashions change. Sports change. Music. Music is odd. Sometimes. So we were at the, we were at the uh, reception for the Sea Island, Georgia uh, wedding we did a couple weeks ago. And we're at the reception sitting at a table with people I don't know. And the band is doing something. I don't know what they're doing. But it's loud. And I said to the guy, is this, and I was being serious. I said, is this music? Is this music? Because I wasn't sure. And then they started later, they started playing songs that were relatively familiar. So I knew they could do it. But I wasn't sure what that, but to some younger people that were there, they were up dancing to this whatever it was. Because in my mind, it wasn't music. But things change. There's a tuning fork. Tuning fork doesn't change. The Word of God doesn't change. It's immutable. It's solid. Jesus' first admonition in this text today is to know, and the second is to search. Be alert and be awake. Be prepared. You don't show up to the Olympics and say, okay, I'm ready to compete in skiing. <coughs> or um, tennis or track. No, I haven't, I haven't really been working out at all, but I'm, I'm here. I don't think you're going to be on the team. That's a lifelong preparation. Spring training happens for a reason. Preseason football happens for a reason. In the military, you do exercise after exercise after exercise to be ready if something should happen. When you're deployed, to the Mediterranean or the Persian Gulf or the South Pacific Sea, when something happens and something goes wrong, they don't go call from Washington and say, okay, you guys come home now. We're going to send out the A-team. You're it. When you leave, you're, you're it. When it happens, you better be ready to go. And you've prepared for that moment. And so you are ready. And we need to be ready as well as Christians. Holy Spirit moment. So don't be doing anything that would bring dishonor to God or to your family because we never know when this is going to happen because there's no opportunity at the last for repentance. <clears throat> Once you're gone, you're gone. There is no PME. There is no post-mortem evangelism. People need to wake up. The Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard tells us a parable of a theater where a variety show was proceeding. Each show is more fantastic than the last and is applauded by the audience. Suddenly, the manager comes forward, apologizes for the interruption, but the theater is on fire, and he begs his patrons to leave in an ordinary, or orderly fashion. The audience thinks this is the most amusing turn of the evening yet, and they cheer thunderously. The manager again implores them to leave the burning building, and again, he is applauded vigorously. At last, he can do no more, the fire raced through the whole building and the fun-loving audience with it. And so, concluded Kierkegaard, well, our age, sometimes, I, I think, I sometimes think, go down in fiery destruction to the applause of a crowded house of cheering spectators. And C.S. Lewis says, when the author walks on, onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then? 
when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in. This time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. Mm. This is going to be a little bit of review because I've said this before, but there's a final exam, and it's very critical. It's very relevant to these verses. Two questions on the final. What did you do about my son Jesus, and what did you do with what I gave you? The first is about salvation. The second is about stewardship. And I would say that most people in the world right now are clueless about this. They have no idea that they're going to one day stand before God and give an account for their life. What did you do about my son, and what did you do with what I gave you? Jesus is going to ask the same two questions of Mother Teresa, Ted Williams, Bill Gates, Joe Biden, Don Curran, Stan Light, Bev McGee, you, me. Everybody's going to get these questions. But how often do we get to take an exam where the teacher has supplied the questions and the answers at the beginning of the course? The mystery, what's expected, this is what the gospel is about. What did you do about my son, and what did you do with what I gave you? To the first question, I need to recognize my need and ability to make sense of my life on my own. So to the first question about Jesus, our answer should be something like this. I recognized my need. By that, I mean my inability to make sense of my life on my own, my uncontrollable tendency towards self-centeredness, my need to find significance, and my need to find security in knowing that I am loved. But above all, it was my need to find forgiveness. How do I come to grips with my guilt and lack of self-worth? The answer is Jesus. In Christ, God the Father gave us the answer. We gave our lives, we give our lives to him by accepting what Christ did for us on the cross, and then we begin to live in the Spirit. We commence that journey of becoming holy called sanctification. It's a lifelong journey, but one which is part of the Christian walk. So accepting Jesus and his work on my behalf is the answer to the first question. The second question is that we all have time, talent, and treasure. There's a, there's a um, board out there or a stand out there with 45 different ministries that we can be part of. It's amazing. But as I, as I look at my life, time, talent, and treasure, am I going to be like the widow who gave all she had? Will I be like the good steward who got talents and made ten more? Will I be like Abraham who gave the best lamb to Lot? Or will I be like Ananias and Sapphira who sold the property but withheld the proceeds? or the rich young ruler who couldn't leave as well. Maybe like the fool who had a really amazing harvest, but he said instead of helping other people with it, he said, I'll just build bigger barns. But he didn't know that his life would be taken that night. 
and I really mean it, we're blessed in this place. We have so many people with hearts of service, servant hearts. And the time and the talent and the treasure that you give to this place and the kingdom of God and the wider community is amazing. So many of you are involved in, in ministry beyond this church or within this church. As I said, there's 45 ministries out there. And I look at those things and I say, there are people involved in every, one, every single one of these things here. And it's things you don't expect, like feeding firemen? Huh? Who ever thought of that? Or giving goodie bags and grab and go bags to the police department or the sheriff's department. Or going around to 32 county fire stations. The shoe boxes, the knitters and the stitchers, the altar gifts, the, the bell choir. I mean, it just, you could go on and on about people that give of their time and their talent and their treasure to bless other people. This one of the, I, 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 there's a thing called tunnels, tunnels to towers. Have you heard of that? And what they do is they give mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families. They give mortgage-free homes to people that have been wounded in combat. They've got mortgage-free homes to first responders that die. And they make them so that they're wheelchair accessible. You can, you can move the appliances up and down with a button. And it's mortgage-free. And I don't know who Dan Kellogg is, but the other day I heard the guy that runs the Tunnels to Towers say this guy Dan Kellogg has just given him another $20 million to build houses, mortgage homes for these people. And they just keep getting more money to do that. What an amazing gift. What a godly thing to do with what we've been given. So being prepared demonstrates the believer's faith and wholehearted obedience. Belief leads to faith. Faith leads to trust. Trust leads to obedience. And obedience leads to blessing, both individually and corporately. And God blesses faithful obedience. It's just a fact. God blesses faithful obedience. The judgment of God is the great neglected fact of human history and the church. After salvation, judgment is the most important aspect of the gospel. Judgment is real. What will I say when I stand before God about those two questions? One is salvation, one is stewardship. I think it was, oh gosh, I can't think of the guy. That, not John Wesley, but his buddy, the guy that kept riding around. Um, Charles Winfield. George Whitfield, George Whitfield. <clears throat> they said, do you, think you'll be able, do you think you'll see John Wesley in heaven? And he said, no, no, I won't. They went, what? He said, I'm going to be so far away from the throne, and Wesley's going to be right next to it. I won't be able to see him. That's what he meant by that. Not that he wouldn't be there, but he'd be so far away. I don't think that's true of George Whitfield, but that's what, that was his attitude toward where, what his place would be. He would not be on the 50-yard line. He'd be in the nosebleed section, according to him. Not true. Jesus takes it seriously and warns us to be ready. So I guess the question is, 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 our, is, is my head up? Is my head down? Am I going forward in faith or am I living life in fear? Are we ready for the final exam? We need to be alert for we know not our time. But well, one thing I know for sure, it's coming. 
He's riding on a cloud. Amen? Please stand. 